morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome, welcome. We're going to dive on in real quick here this morning. Good to see everybody. My name is Randy, and uh, as strange as it may seem to some of you, I am the pastor. Got to offer that disclaimer. Good to see you all. Nice to see everybody. Uh, super good to see the Grenz family back. And uh, we, we will talk soon about a format where we can hear all the stories and ask all the questions because we really want to hear an update from you guys. We are so glad to see you. We missed you greatly. Uh, we've added a few while you've been gone. I hope you don't mind. Is it, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where. Yeah, I know. They're like, we've been away five weeks. We don't have the people. The Lord's doing something here. He's drawing people. And, uh, you know, you go, why here? Why now? I mean, I'm not going to, at this point, you know, ministry protocol says I should be writing a book about our grand success, but I don't know what happened, and I'm just glad to see everybody, and I believe the Lord is stirring us. Some of you came in this morning, and uh, a dance party is not what you thought you bought a ticket to, and let me just speak about that just for a second, okay, because churches have a tendency to reflect the mannerisms and the norms of their pastor. And that's horrifying, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's, but it's true. It's true. And so as a result, if the pastor is fairly reserved, the church becomes fairly reserved. However, when you have a pastor who's fairly reserved that has deep hunger for a move of the Spirit and freedom, there's a tension there. Because what happened this morning, I love this. I love it. Some of you would have never known that. Okay? Because when I'm excited, my pulse goes to about 70. Maybe. Drops into the 30s when I feel good. Okay? But I love the free expression, and that's where I want to go as a people. And, and some of you, it, it, I was telling Rachel, it never occurs to me that some people are actually looking for permission to go there. And that there are times when my own, because I've got a real hunger for the word, and I've got a hunger for things being done in order, and I have a real to low tolerance for goofy. Okay, I just, I, I don't like that. I don't, you know, however, there is a space in the middle where we have freedom. And, uh, and as I've been studying Paul in relation to Galatians and his strong leadership, but his fight for people's freedom. I've been stirred by that. I want to lead that way. I want to lead with strength, but I want to lead you unto the fullness of what God has called you to be. Not, heaven forbid, Randy clones. We're not sure we need the one we have. We certainly don't need more, okay? Enough of that. Okay, a uh, couple of exciting things. One, giving, if you would like to give, you can use your phone and point that at the QR code, or there's a bucket out in the foyer, Orange Home Depot bucket, and all that goes to the bridge. Um, we have over the past couple of weeks, maybe five weeks, we've used different people to kind of tell their stories about giving. And that has been so much fun. The reason we have done that has not been to squeeze finances out of you. Okay, that's not it. It's because I want you to be hungry for your own stories. I want you to be provoked by the faithfulness of God in other people's lives so that you can go, I want that. And I'll tell you where that is found. That is found in your faithfulness to him in giving. 
I could take an entire Sunday morning and tell you the craziest stories of how the Lord has provided for Kelsey and I over the years. I mean, we've just we've got a book of them. And sometimes we have to go back and revisit those, okay? And you encourage yourself with your own stories. I want you to have your own stories. And part of having your own stories is just faithfulness to giving. A couple of quick announcements. Next week's special guest, James Adams, is going to be preaching. If you know James, you love James. I don't know if it would be possible to know James and not love James. But he is uh, a wonderful guy, pastors, uh, uh, Silo Community Church, which was in Lewisburg, is now kind of in the greater Stillwell metro area. And you kind of have to be from Lewisburg or Stillwell to know the difference between those two. Uh, but don't mix them up. He's in Stillwell, and uh, he's going to be here and going to be speaking for us. Uh, he's just has been a blessing to my heart. Every time I've been with this guy, I walk away super encouraged. And so I look forward to having him. Also next Sunday, a couple of things going on. Uh, it's wedding week, by the way, at the bridge. Got a couple weddings going on. Yeah. Some of you look a little dismayed. The weddings have already been planned. Okay, if you were hoping to be wedded, married this week, but you don't have anybody lined up, it's not going to happen. But there are two planned, and we're going to do those. Wedding on Thursday, uh, Josiah and Lima, excited about them. And then uh, Tyler and Sally uh, on Sunday. So uh, just be praying for, for those young couples, their families, everybody traveling. Super, super excited. But next Sunday... We're going to revisit Soup Sunday. This is something the Gagne's did a couple of times last fall. Leah, can you just kind of wave your hand right there? Leah and her husband David throw down some killer soup. I mean, it is really good, and it's a bit of a competition. I'm not going to tell you who I think is the favorite because I'm afraid the other one will quit, and we need them both. And so uh, after church, if you want to go over there and hang out, have soup, they'll have football on. They can bring what, Leah? Chips, uh, sorry, I put you on the spot. Drinks, bring something other than soup. Okay, how's that? Or bring soup, I don't care. But um, be there for that, and we'll have the address and everything next week. If you're like, I've been here a couple weeks, don't know anybody, this would be a great opportunity to mix it and get to know some folks. Uh, I think that is it in the way of announcements, except that Paige, Paige is 30 today. Happy birthday, Paige. Yay, yay, okay, all right. And if we've missed your birthday, I'm sorry. I just knew it was pages, so I said, you don't care? Was it your birthday and I missed your birthday? Okay, okay. She's not bitter. Okay, good. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Galatians or uh, pull the notes up on your phone. Um, I, I said on Instagram earlier this week, if you pull these notes up and you have a heart attack at the length, uh, chill out. It's okay. We probably won't finish all of these. Um, We'll see if the web stream holds up. A funny thing has happened the last couple of weeks is every time we throw the notes up and people download the notes, it throws everybody on the internet off. Should have been here. Should have been here. We're st still live, still live. Hope you, hopefully you're still with us. We will be in Galatians. I'm going to be reading something else before we get there, but trust me, we'll get there Look into Galatians. This is a part two of our series that we started last week. Now, Galatians is written by the Apostle Paul wanting to be very faithful to the message of Jesus. And it is written in context to people who claimed the name of Jesus, but were not faithful. There were parts of the first century church that feel very familiar in the 21st century. There are things going on. Everybody, you know, that gets frustrated with the church establishment says, I just want to go back to the first century church. Really? 
Because there were some train wrecks in the first century church. And there are parts of the first century church that are reappearing now in the 21st century. In the first century, struggle within the church happened kind of from three different ways. It came from persecution from what I call the religio-political empire because the very religious and the political were combining and it was causing problems for the church. However, persecution has a crazy effect on the Christian faith. It causes it to flourish. So they struggle with persecution from the religious people and the political leaders. A second way that struggle entered into the church was what I call ecclesiastical struggle or struggle from like-minded brothers, people within the faith that were duking it out trying to figure out exactly what's, what's real and what's not real here. And uh, that's inside baseball that gets settled. That's not bad. Okay, that happens. But then there is a third area where struggle arises in the first century church, and it is perversion of the message by those who claim to be Christians. Now, like Paul, I'm not terribly worried about what unbelievers say about the faith, okay? But for those who claim to be believers who in turn pervert the message, there's real chaos there. And that's what the book of Galatians is written to. Mark Twain's got this great quote I love. He says, in every great argument in life, there will be people on your side who you wish were not. You ever get into a great debate and somebody joins your side and you're like, "Mm, stop, don't, don't, just please. You're not helping us here, okay? Galatians. Galatians. The people of the region of Galatia were the people who might have said, Paul, we're on your side. He's like, no, 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 no. They were those who proclaimed the gospel, but they proclaimed it with such a twisted version that Paul maybe wished that they would not. And it is not because Paul was a church control freak. He was not. In fact, in other times in Scripture, there are people that are preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition. Paul goes, (laughs) just let him go. Just let him go. At least they got the message right. In Galatians, he's like, no, you don't have the message right. Let's unplug that now. The purity of the message mattered more than format. It mattered more than buildings. It mattered more than structure. Because without the purity of the message, none of those things mattered at all. It mattered so much that throughout the New Testament, he presented the gospel in a variety of different ways. He talked about it different ways as if to say, this thing is a diamond and we're going to talk about it from all angles so that you know what it looks like from all ways. One way he talked about the gospel is in first, or 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6. Now, I told you to turn to Galatians and stay there, but for just a second, let's read this scripture together as a way of him talking about the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6, read this with me. For what we proclaimed is not ours, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. He tells Corinthians here, leave the scripture up, he tells them there's three characters in this little passage here. He said there's me, you, and Jesus. And the gospel gives Paul the power to put himself in the least powerful position in that triumvirate. He said, I received so much from Jesus that I don't need the leverage over you. 
I am so assured of who I am in Christ, actually, that I can serve you because the power of God dwells within me and I am not here for your affirmation. When you have power within you, you have the ability to serve others and what they think of you does not matter. And some of you that are running around in panic, you are literally unable to serve others because you're too ratcheted up about what they think about you. What will they think about me if I lower myself? Let me break your heart. They're not thinking about you anyway. Part of my daily regimen is, uh, not my daily, but weekly, on Wednesday afternoons, I am the guy who stands on the curb by the school that my kids attend and stops the football game that erupts during recess from spilling out onto the street. That's my little job, okay? And I stand there, and I am the bane of every 12-year-old boy's existence because I don't care what they think. So I serve them by keeping them out of the street. If I were worried about them, what they thought of me and the dirty looks they give me when I go, hey, back on the grass, I wouldn't have the power to serve them. But because I am not concerned about their opinions of me, I'll probably save their life. There are people who can't afford to serve because they can't afford to lay their lives down. They're too concerned about what everybody thinks. Christians according to Paul here, can afford to take the lowest position because their identity and their joy is not wrapped up in what everybody thinks about them. Their identity and their joy comes from Jesus. That is the gospel that Paul loved. And it's the gospel that the Galatians perverted into a story that Jesus probably wouldn't have recognized. Say, why would anybody pervert or change the gospel? If they were, if they were legitimately saved, why would anybody ever twist the story? Well, there's a couple ways that, or reasons people might. I mean, it might just be just ignorance. They might be making an honest mistake. Like 20 years ago, I'm preaching in East Tennessee in this little church way up in the, up in the holler, okay? H-O-L-L-E-R. It's a geographical reference to something in East Tennessee. Up in the holler, I'm in preaching this little church, and it's the kind of church when you get there, you realize they've accidentally invited two people to preach. So there's two of us. And the pastor tells me, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll just have you both preach. I, this guy just got out of prison. He's not going to preach long. That was wrong. But also, he literally, hey, I mean, that, the part about him getting out of prison was right. The part about him not preaching long was not right. And I remember the guy had, been, had received a call to ministry while he was in prison, which I'm sure happens. And, but he had on a black pants and a white shirt and a white jacket. It looked like a tuxedo kind of. And he was enthused. He was very enthused. He was jump on the front row, yell at the people enthused. And I'll never forget what he preached about. Out of the King James, he preached out of Psalm 139, 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, except he got it wrong. And he preached it, I am fearfully or wonderfully made. And the entire sermon was, are you fearfully made or are you wonderfully made? For like 45 minutes. I don't know what I preached about. I remember what he preached about. But it was an honest mistake. You know, I mean, it was enthusiastic and it was an honest mistake, but yeah, yeah, that wasn't it. But there are other people who preach the gospel and they twist it and manipulate people as a way of controlling them. Because if you can't handle people being free, you've got to control them. 
that freedom that had been preached to Galatia came with some inconvenience because what the freedom was for was the freedom to do what was right, not the freedom to do whatever you wanted. They were already doing whatever they wanted. Some people have been preached a gospel of freedom that is really a false liberty, and they go, why would I even want Jesus? I'm already doing everything I want to do. No, the gospel that was preached to the Galatians is one that said, you are free to do what you ought to do. You are free to walk in freedom, not free to just sin the way you wanted to your entire life. You're an alcoholic, now you're free to walk in sobriety. You couldn't do that before. You lived in hatred, now you're free to love people. You couldn't do that before. Jesus, who died for the Galatians and for us, did so in order to redeem hearts and set people free to be functional, contributing, spirit-infused adults in every role of their lives. If you could handle being a better human being in every arena of life, fatherhood, motherhood, spouse, role model, that's the gospel that you want to hear. Before encountering Jesus, the Galatians were just trapped in their own dysfunction. They had no power to be anyone else than what they were. Now the gate is open for them to be free, and they've got people within the church who are rattled by that because they know they can't control free people. So the true message of Jesus is that if you give him your life, you gain the power to do what is right. The perverted gospel says that the most important persons in that triumvirate of Jesus, others, and you is you. And it's all about you. There is probably nowhere on earth than the environment we live in where it is easier to pervert the gospel. There are so many things at play that make it easy. Technology, which has exploded in the last 20 years. Some of you don't even remember or or you weren't around. But I, I mean, you know, 20 years ago, we had, blogging came out, and anybody with a keyboard could suddenly speak to the world, and now we have millions of podcasts. You know what the qualifications for getting a podcast are? You need a microphone. That's it. Like, they'll let you do that, and suddenly you can talk to anybody, and the, the biggest podcast in the world is run by a former MMA fighter and comedian. I promise you. 2024, whoever runs for president will not stand a chance of getting elected without spending three hours with Joe Rogan. By what qualifications? MMA fighter, comedian. That's where technology has led us. Everyone has a platform. I'm not saying he's good or bad. I'm just saying only in the world that we live in would that have happened. We are, it's not just technology, though. It's just a sense of convenience. We are so tied to convenience. In a knowledge economy, time is money and convenience is king. And so suddenly everyone thinks that the gospel should also be convenient. We don't have any time for anything that we can't put in our pocket and walk away with. It's very hard to walk our own road and convince Jesus to walk hand in hand with you. That's a different gospel. He's inconvenient. So what's the message that these people of Galatia had abandoned? It's the one of Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Jesus told the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will save it. And the Galatians went, hmm, is there another version of this that does not involve me laying down my life? 
anywhere the church has flourished and looked its best, it has been where believers have laid down their lives for other people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. No wonder nobody answers the phone. Galatians went, ah, sorry, static. They don't want to hear that call. Paul lays it out. No matter what happens, no matter what anybody says, don't forget the covenant that you agreed to. Don't forget the pressure you felt before you said yes to Jesus and the clean heart you felt when you said yes to him. When you said, wherever you go, Jesus, I will go. He said, don't forget that. There's a song. I don't know if we've sung it here, but I've sung it in other places. Put me anywhere. Just put your glory in me. I'll serve anywhere. Just let me see your beauty. When people sing that song, I'm like, oh. like, do you know what you're getting into? Galatians knew what they were getting into and backed away from it. So as we said last week, book of Galatians, broken in four parts, his introduction and his gospel, which we got into, or introduction and purpose, I'm sorry, his defense of his apostleship, which we're going to talk about really quickly this morning. His defense of the gospel, where he gives five arguments for salvation by faith, like five different ways he talks about why we are saved by faith. And then his defense of liberty, where Paul, the strong leader, fights for you to be free. What we have left in this introduction and purpose were three verses. And these verses, at the very tail end of that first section, are his DTR. How many of you know what a DTR is? couple starts dating a little bit, and then it's like, is this serious? Is this not serious? We're going to have a define the relationship talk. And this is his DTR for them. Galatians 1, 8 to 10. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now we say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul, the apostle, speaks very directly to the Galatians, and he says what I think is a little bit important for every preacher to say at some point, which is, I don't work for you. He's like, guess what? I'm here to speak the truth, but I don't work for you. Paul is so strong on this. He's actually willing to put himself under the scrutiny that he puts them under. He's saying, hey, I'll take on angels if this story is wrong. And it's not enough for him to say, hey, don't listen to people who preach the wrong gospel. He goes, they're actually accursed. He doesn't curse them. He just describes the situation they're living under. In Deuteronomy 27, Moses is charged with giving directions to the people before they cross the Jordan into the promised land. And he tells them, we're entering a new day and a new age. And he lists off a series of egregious sins. And it's not clear if they were okay in the old land, but he says, in the new land, we're not doing that anymore. Where we are going, we can't act the way we did where we were. When God leads people in a new season, it's the prerogative of the Lord to define the season. And he says, guess what? If you do these things, you're accursed. That is what Paul is referencing back. He goes, remember when they went into the promised land and they couldn't live in sin anymore? They were accursed. If you are twisting the gospel, you're just like them. He's not cursing them. He's describing their condition. 
And he isn't telling others to ignore those who perverted the gospel. He's saying they're accursed. Now, in a culture that we live in, where everybody gets a trophy just for participating, you read this and you go, where is the love, Paul? Where, where is the kindness of the gospel to say that they're accursed if they're preaching it differently than you are? Paul is actually loving here. It is unloving to see people in danger and not wave the flag. If you're standing on a dock and you see people in a pontoon boat and from where you can see them, you can see this thing is going down, it is not loving to say, nice boat. Okay? It's not loving. It's, yeah, you're cursed on that boat. It's going down. Quit thinking of love as what makes people feel good. Love is what acts for the good of people. And speaking truth acts for the good of people. Paul closes that introduction that we just read there with a phrase. He said, for now am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? For I'm trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. This is his closing, define the relationship statement. I am not here for backpats or attaboys. I am here to tell you the truth. And the truth is, you're in danger. With that, he moves into the second part of Galatians. This is the defense of his apostleship. And Galatians 1, 11 goes through roughly chapter 2, verse 21. He defends being an apostle in two different parts. The first part is the origin of the gospel that he's preaching. And the second part is his relationship to the other apostles. He goes, this is where I got my message. And this is how it's all shaken down with the guys that were at the table when I got here. First, he lays out the case for how he got the message that he is preaching. Galatians 1, 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Most of you, I would say all of you, unless there's a story I don't know about, have heard the gospel from somebody else. You've got somebody, or you heard somebody preach, you heard a friend that took you along. I wish Joel Richardson was here. He's got, the, he's got the best salvation story ever. He got saved in a tent meeting with sawdust on the floor in Florida somewhere, gave his heart to Jesus, way down the road found out that the guy running the tent revival actually was a cult leader. It was the greatest. By this time, you know, Joel's in love with Jesus, and he's fine, but it's just a crazy story. He is saying, I didn't hear the gospel from anybody. I got this for myself because Jesus visited me. And it was a story that they were familiar with. First Galatians 1.13, he reflects back. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. It is so interesting here that Paul, when he talks about his conversion, cannot tell his story without mixing his dark history with God's bright future. He just tells the whole story. Yeah, I was a train wreck. I was killing people. And yet, even before that, the Lord had my number and was drawing me. He said, I was a violent man. I was, I was hurting people. And now, by the miracle of God, I'm here to protect the church of Galatia. But there was a day when I would have burned this thing to the ground. 
Just the knowledge that he had destroyed lives might have destroyed Paul's if he would have let him. But he managed to acknowledge his sinful past, but also realize that God himself had a plan for him before the foundations of the world. It's mind-boggling. Can you imagine if Paul had appeared at his 20th high school reunion? And nobody thought he'd turn out that way. Nobody thought, I mean, Jesus had more cards up his sleeve than Paul even knew were in the deck when it came to reiterating his life. God is not content to let your current position determine your final position. What you are into right now, so you're like, this cannot be it. It's not. Be encouraged. He has more for you than the life you're living right now. He goes on in Galatians 1, 16 and 17. He said, you was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. I went away to Arabia and returned to Damascus. It's easy to think of Paul as an overnight success, right? He was going one way, gets knocked off the horse, bright shining light, boom, suddenly he's this evangelist. That's what happens when you only read parts or you read... No, no, that's not what... He actually stayed in Arabia after his encounter with Jesus for three years, presumably giving himself to encountering the Lord and studying Scripture. Suddenly he's reading these passages of the Old Testament and he's seeing Jesus in them where he's never seen him before. Paul doesn't immediately jump right into ministry. He spends three years on the backside of the wilderness reading the Word, reading the same things that he's read before and going, never saw that before. He's opening up Isaiah 7.14, which he would have known very well as he was killing Christians. Therefore, the Lord will give himself a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. He's like, wow, I never saw this before. Why is Paul so passionate about the gospel? Because for years he studied the scripture and didn't see Jesus, and all of a sudden Jesus is everywhere. He knows you can be pretty religious and still miss the point. And he takes three years to pray and study on his own before he shows up at a public Bible study and takes his place of authority. He never leverages his persona or his public figureism into popularity in the church. Something that makes me nervous is when someone of high profile get saved, and they transfer that high profile into authority in the church in a moment. And suddenly, they're on a platform somewhere preaching things they had never even heard of two weeks ago. And they would never be there had they not been famous. We do people a disservice. Paul said, I'm going to go hide for about three years. Read the scripture until I've got something to say. We have hurt people by catapulting them. We, because as a church, we're so hungry for heroes and fame that if we can't find our own, we'll borrow one from the world and we'll take someone who confesses the name of Jesus and put them right on a platform and then when they implode, we wonder how, what happened. One word, Kanye. Is he sincere? I completely believe he is. But I don't know that he's been served well. Don't think about how you can leverage your influence, although there are moments for that. Think of how you can be influenced 
by a kingdom mindset, and when your moment arises to stand before people, you will. Reputations can be fickle. Ministry built on a dead man's reputation or a dead celebrity's reputation will never reflect the power of a risen Savior. He didn't die for you to become you plus. He died for you to become you new. And Paul says, I think I need some time here to become fully new. Like, I'm new, but there's some stuff that's got to be worked through here. So Paul sets his heart on being more than a Christian version of what he was before he came to Jesus. He sets his heart on being a new person. And the first part of him defending his apostleship is him talking about the message he received and how he set his heart to do it after years of fighting. And he said, I might look like an overnight success, but it's taken me three years to even be able to have a conversation with some of these apostles. Second part of him defending his apostleship is him talking about his relationship to the other apostles. He starts talking about his meeting with Peter. How dramatic could this have been? Okay? He has been a hitman for people like Peter. Peter has watched as Paul has been there when others have been martyred. This is, this is a little tense. Galatians 1, 18 to 20. After three years, after three years of sitting reading you version, he's done that Bible reading plan. I mean, the Bible was shorter. It was easier. But he has read the scriptures, and he's seen Jesus in the scriptures. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. Some of you are like, I thought you said he went to see Peter. Same guy. Paul actually uses the name Cephas and Peter interchangeably. Cephas is the, the word in Aramaic for rock. Jesus probably said, on this Cephas, I will build my church. So when you see Cephas, Peter, same guy, okay? When I went to visit Cephas and I remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles ex- except James, the Lord's brother, in what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. It's like, I just saw the two guys And what's funny is the word he uses to say he went to see Peter, you think he's like going to pay homage or it's on a pilgrimage or he's going to, you know, he's going to walk in. No, the word he uses there to see, it's almost like a tourist going to see. I went to go see Peter. Like one might go see Mount Rushmore. How many of you ever seen Mount Rushmore? It's exactly what you thought when you got there, isn't it? Like you pull up, you get out, you go, yeah, that's it. And then you take the same picture that every other person has taken when you go to Mount Rushmore, and then you try and show your picture. Nobody cares. <laughs> it's, that, it's that, call me out, let's go see Mount Rushmore. He, that's how he goes to see, let's go see Peter. That's what you do. Let's go walk up the mountain to go see Peter. That, he, wasn't, he wasn't leveraging this for some kind of relationship. He wasn't going, oh, this is my door inside. He's like, let's go see George Washington and Peter. Paul had lived an exciting, although dark, life. And it seems like the early years of his Christian walk were almost as unremarkable as his former life was remarkable. Galatians 1, 1-24. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown to the persons of the church of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it. And they said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. But he goes, you know what? For a good season there, I was completely unknown. He would become, 
in many ways, the most famous apostle of all, writing most of the New Testament, but he lived for three years in obscurity, unknown to the churches of Judea. The only thing around him was a few rumors. Yeah, we heard he got saved. Has he been to the Bible study? No. And that's okay. Because we don't know what to think of him. Why does Paul go so far out of his way to talk about his season of unknownness? Why does he keep talking about this season of obscurity? He is saying, in light of my obscurity, my rise to influence points to the fact that what I got, I got from Jesus. I didn't get it by osmosis. And there's something to osmosis, okay? I would rather have my kids hang out with godly kids than ungodly kids because somehow, you know, it gets in them. So there's, he's not totally discounting that idea of becoming like the people you are with, but he's saying, I got this from the Lord. You can become the Apostle Paul through Jesus' influence alone if all you have is the church's influence and not Jesus's, you're probably going to become bitter at some point. There is a strata of people who were influenced by the function of the church but never had an encounter with Jesus. Most of them don't stick around past 40. And they, they grow bitter, they grow angry, because they never encountered the Lord, they just encountered the Lord's people who often are lovely-ish, but sheep bite. And there's, social media is full of people that want to tell your story about being church hurt. And I don't doubt that they were. I've got a couple tweets myself. But if all you've encountered is the structure and never the giver of life, no wonder you got hurt. That whole thing's populated with nut, nutty people and broken people no different than yourself. Paul said, I became who I was because I encountered the Lord. What, now, now, does he benefit from the fellowship of the brothers? Oh, yeah, he speaks fondly about fellowship and 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 I mean he just you read this and you can tell he loves these people but he's like you got to go get with Jesus if you're going to make it for the long haul let me tell you I love community I love being with people I love all of that but devoid of Jesus that's a petri dish and it turns really quick he goes on to talk about visiting Jerusalem Paul hits fast forward on his life here, going from the third year of his walk with Jesus to the 14th year. Just whoop, skips a bunch, grabs the record needle, goes to the last track, where he is established as a leader in the church. He skips their acceptance of him, and he moves directly to his area of influence. Some of you have a heading in your Bible that says the Council of Jerusalem. If you're, anybody have a, like a physical Bible with you and says Council of Jerusalem? Okay, all right. I don't think that's true, okay? I'm just, just between you and me, get a black highlighter, write that out. Uh, let me explain why. So you're like, oh my goodness, they danced in church and now he's arguing with the Bible headings. Yeah, the Bible headings were put in there by the same people who put the numbers in the chapters. That, that was all added later. And this, so there is, there is great debate over this visit to Jerusalem, whether it was the Council of Jerusalem or not. I don't think it was. I think the Council of Jerusalem 
came later. I believe this is his first visit to Jerusalem before the council because while he describes the problem, he never describes the agreement. He never describes the meeting with the brothers and the decision they handed down. And so this is why I think Galatians is written before that council. And I could be wrong and will just please still love me because it's not a matter of salvation. But in Galatians 2, 1 through 5, he starts in talking about after 14 years. I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And I went up because of revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running nor had not run in vain. I love this. He puts himself under scrutiny. He goes, okay, I heard from the Lord on this, but let's weigh this. There's some wisdom and humility in this guy. He goes on to say, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they may bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Now, it's a little bit hard to understand here because Paul would have flunked your eighth grade English class. He loves run-on sentences, okay? They just kind of go on and go on and go on. Never, Never met a comma he didn't like, okay? But what he's talking about here, for those of you that were looking for some place to breathe in this sentence, what he's talking about is going to visit the other leaders of the church. He's got Barnabas, who they adore, and he's got Titus, who they're a little suspicious of. Because Titus was a Greek, and he wasn't circumcised. And he wasn't really interested in being circumcised. And none of the guys really argued with him on that one. But Paul loves Titus. 2 Corinthians, he calls him my brother. He said in places he was comforted by Titus. He trusted Titus with his money. He writes recommendations for Titus. He calls Titus his son in the faith. And Paul walked in that growing tension between believers who were Jewish, who adhered to the law, and those who were Greek and were going, I don't know if I need to do this the same way that you do. There is always a propensity among those who have been in the church to force their accepted level of misery on the newcomers. You know? And that's what the, that's what the Jewish believers were trying to do. You know? Well, we happened to us. They're like, you were four days old. Yeah, but, you know, we endured. And they tried to force their ways onto the Greeks. And Paul's like, wait, 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 wait. Stop here. And he makes his case to the leaders, verses 6 through 10. I'm not going to read all of that. But he acknowledges the tension of the moment that there is disagreement between the Gentiles and and the, the Jews and how this is all going to work out. But his point here, what has landed is Paul's calling in the eyes of the other apostles. He said, we're not going to settle this here and now. But... I am an apostle of equal with you. That idea of ordination, the recognition of the validity of a calling from the Lord and before people starts with an encounter like Paul had. It does not start with the recognition of men. I am really passionate about this. Okay? If you feel that you are called into ministry of some form, whether it is vocational, bivocational, Pan-vocational. I don't care. However you want to term it. 
I just made that up. Somebody trademarked that. If you feel a calling into ministry, that first calling comes from the Lord. It doesn't come even from the other apostles. And it is good to have their blessing, and it is good to have some recognition of that from other leaders, but it doesn't start the other way around. I was in a denominational meeting with some folks some years ago, an unnamed nebulous group. And uh, one of the staff members was stepping out of their paid staff role. And the designation that the, that the denomination put for someone who stepped out of their paid staff role, that list of people was list of people who were out of call. I'm like, what? Like I totally blew the meeting up. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. What, what do you, well, let's just our term for it is you're out of call. I said, that's whack. She's not out of call. She's not getting paid for what you wanted her to do. Calling comes from the Lord. And Paul steps in and says, hey, I am called to say some things that I'm going to say that Randy's going to tell you about in two weeks, but that calling comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from anybody else. And with that authority and the blessing of the brethren, which I also believe in, he lays out a case for salvation that is beautiful to study. As I told you, we had all kinds of things left. We've got more notes. We'll circle back. One thing, if I learned anything from Mike Bickle, is you don't have to preach everything you know every week. (laughs) Isn't that just a delightful thing? Yeah, it is. So because of that, we're going to land right there. And we're going to pick it up again in two weeks. We've got James Adams next week. But uh, what little I could gain in driving the point home will be completely lost by those who are manning the kids in the nursery. Okay? So we are going to, in honor, prefer them. Stand with me if you would. Father God, we love you and we thank you that you call us to freedom and you call us to fullness of joy and you call us to minister and to serve. So we ask that you would take these passages, you would drive them deep in our hearts. Let's just take a moment and lift our voices and ask him to seal this. Rachel, go ahead. Come, Lord Jesus. you are beautiful and we thank you for freedom we thank you that you speak directly to our hearts 
And even now, Lord, as you are speaking to those among us about ministry and serving, plowing the ground, building a church here, building a community, I ask that they would encounter you in a deep way and that they would find their calling affirmed by brothers and sisters. They would be encouraged and would walk in a lifetime of fruitfulness for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Have a great week.